Okay, so tonight, topically, we are going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So here on Tuesday, we went through chapters 5 and 6, where King David now is established as the king. He was, of course, the king of the tribe of Judah for seven and a half years, while Ishabeth, the son of Saul, with the help of Abner, was the king over the 11 tribes in the north. And through various circumstances, Abner reconciled the 11 tribes to Judah and David, but then Abner was killed by Joab. Then these bad guys killed Ishabeth, and then David had to execute them. So it's pretty messy business, but that's how it is when people come to power with those kind of things. And in the end, in chapter 5, all the tribes of Judah, excuse me, all the tribes of Israel came to David, and they said, look, the Lord was with you, and he said this about you. You're our king. We're here. Let's unify. And they did, and it's beautiful. So the kingdom is established in David is now over Judah and Israel. It's come to pass. What was prophesied by the prophet Samuel some two decades before has now come to pass. And here he is. He's truly this great king from the line of Judah over the nation of Israel. As soon as he become kings, his kingdom is established by the Lord. We're told that in chapter 5. The Philistines immediately want to go to war with him. They do. He has victory over the Philistines. And so... He had, to, he had to be appointed by the Lord, and they had to fight immediately for what God had called him to. And then now as things settle in, he decides that he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He has made Jerusalem the new capital of Israel. And now, of course, Jerusalem is the center of the world, and it's the center of the world to the end of the world. Jerusalem is a city that the whole human race revolves around until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And it was David who, who did that 3,000 years ago. Joab took the city that's now known as the city of David, and there David said within the city of Jerusalem, the city of David is where he was going to have his palace and where he was going to have his reign. And so he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, that central place of worship for Israel in the Old Testament, to Jerusalem so the people can be there and the presence of the Lord will be there with them with the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, the Ark of the Covenant is that chest with the Ten Commandments in it, the rod of Aaron and the jar of manna, and it, it has the gold bars that you carry it with. It's overlaid with gold. It has the cherubim angels. It's all described for us back in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. And the tribe of Levi would carry it on their shoulders, particularly the Kohathites, a subdivision of the tribe of Levi. It was their responsibility. And what happened was when David was bringing the ark to Jerusalem, they put it on a, a cart, like a wagon. I'm not sure why. We get no reason explained why, because the scripture is very clear it was to be carried by the Kohathites, the Levites. But it's on the wagon. So the, the wagon had a, a bobble moment, and Uzzah grabbed the wagon, and he touched the ark. And he's not allowed to touch the ark. It represents the holiness of God. Just like how we say, holy God, sinful men, one meter, mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. I must be regarded as holy as those who approach me. And Jesus is the one that makes us acceptable in the beloved. And you can't just show up in God's throne room and say, hey, I'm here, I'm Uzzah, and I'm just touching the Ark of the Covenant. It doesn't work like that. And so Uzzah was struck down by the Lord. The result of this was, as they would say, happy feelings gone. It was a joyful day, happy feelings gone. Because Uzzah didn't just die, he was struck down by the Lord. That's a very sobering thing. And we read that the Holy Spirit tells us in the earlier part of chapter 6 that David was angry. He was angry, like, just, it, you know, like, 
Oh, he's just angry. Like certain things, you plan them a certain way in life, and they don't go the way you thought, and the Lord didn't do what you thought he would do, or he does something against you when he thought he was for you. You could be angry at the Lord. You could be angry at the people, just angry in general at the circumstances. He was angry. But then he was fearful because he went from anger to fear, where now he's like, oh, my goodness. Like now he's afraid. So two emotions we've all probably felt a lot in the last two years, right? Anger and fear, both of them. He had them. So he went home. They all went home, and they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in Obed-Ezer's house. And so it's at, uh, excuse me, Obed-Edom's house, and that's where they leave the Ark. So they're like, well, this is the nearest house. So like, knock on the door. Hey, buddy, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, and Uzzah was just struck down dead, and party's over. So can we just park this Ark here in your house, and we'll come back when we feel like we're all not going to get struck by lightning and bring you to Jerusalem? Pretty much the background. They all go back to Jerusalem. Then we pick up our text tonight. We read in verse 12, verse 11 cues it up, that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So the ark was there for three months with Obed-Edom, and his household was blessed. Now it was told, verse 12, to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's ex-wife, looked through a window and saw David, King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Technically, she's still his wife, I think. You know the background if you know the background. Verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. So all the people departed and went everyone to his own house. And that's what they did. So it was a huge party. What's interesting is a generation later when Solomon becomes king, he has another huge party when they build the temple and they dedicate the temple and the Shekinah glory of the Lord comes. Solomon does the same thing. He has a huge party. Everybody gets food. It's a giant banqueting feast for the entire nation. He blesses them and they all go home blessed. It's an amazing event. So David did it first. A generation later, his son Solomon, when he would dedicate the temple, so you get the upgrade from tabernacle to the temple, he did it too. The back part of the chapter describes that when David went home, Michael mocked him. Gave him a hard time, and it got pretty heated. And it says that, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. So again, a review on Michael. is Michael was David's first wife, Saul's daughter, and is the first woman David would have been with, and he was with her in marriage. And when Saul persecuted him, he, he had to leave Michael behind. Michael lied to her father about David and his leaving, then Michael eventually married another man when David was on the run for that 12, 13 years where he uh, acquired a couple wives, actually. When he became king, uh, totally, 
he demanded that Michael be brought to him, and whether it was out of bitterness or to weaken the house of Saul to make sure there's no funny business going on when the kings are being reconciled, we don't know for sure. But she had been married to another man, and Abner, before he was struck down by Joab, made, him go, made that guy go home. So she lost her second husband and was restored to David, but one of multiple women that were his wives at this point in time. That's what we know. The rest is speculative. But we also know in the last verse here that they did not have children together, which speaks for itself that after the context of what went on this day, it was just not that relationship was done. Pastor Chuck Smith years ago, of all the studies I remember, that's the one I remember the most, it's called The Bitter End, where he talked about the bitterness in marriage when two people get like this. I, I never forgot that study because he said, you don't ever want to be those people. So I, I've always remembered that study from Pastor Chuck. Tonight, though, as we look at this text, what we really want to focus on is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Tonight we're in here, it's a very joyful night. And I don't plan these things this way, so God perfectly timed that we'd be in this text this night on our 17-year anniversary with all these props and stuff. It's like... You know, it's praise. It's like, it's, it's awesome. You know, like we're here. In this story, apart from Michael as the negative on the back end, the front end is very positive. So Obed-Edom, he has the Ark of the Covenant. Now, who knows what he thought when, they, you know, the king knocks on your door and says, can, can we park this in your driveway kind of a thing? Who knows what he thought? But he's got the Ark. And we're told he was blessed twice. Now, we don't know how he's blessed, but in an, in an agricultural society, it's probably going to be by increase. Good health, the grapes got bigger, the olive tree had more olives, like that kind of a thing. The cows suddenly look better fed, and they're having calves everywhere. Like, that's wealth in that agri-society, and it says he was blessed. Maybe he had more joy of the Lord, like Deuteronomy 6, when he rose up and just praised the Lord, and his kids praised the Lord, and it's like they got a double portion over their house, like we just prayed for, for our pastors and deacons. He was blessed. And we're reminded that our God's a blessing God. And when we go through hard times, personally, we often forget that God does want to bless us. And even the buffetings produce blessings for those who have faith and trust in him. Everything has a good end in the, the plans of the Lord. The life of Job and all of his hardship. We're told in the New Testament that the Lord had a good end in the blessings that God brought to Job's life. We're told in Romans 8 that all things work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We have assurance of promises through faith in Jesus Christ that the highest mountain that we ever have, the greatest experience in our life, the highest mountain where we have the faith to go for it and see the things that God does, and the lowest valley where we need the faith to pull us up from it and go forward from heartache, pain, disappointment, and these sorts of things, that no matter how high we are, how low we are, Psalm 139 says the Lord is higher and he's lower. And David wrote that song. And faith is the sons of things hoped for, the events not yet seen. So our faith for the blessings of God, they see the eternal blessings looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we're able to step out in faith and, and go for it and do great things and attempt great things. As, as, you know, William Carey, the father of modern mission said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And that's the kind of faith God rewards. Like I've been saying quite often in recent years, I don't want to shortchange the Lord. There are things that God's going to do anyways but he puts it on us to believe him, to have a believing faith, to go for it. And I don't want to limit God by having a small vision. I want to have a big vision because we serve a big God. And I want to have a big vision for the kingdom advancing in my life, in my character, in my home. His blessings advancing in my character and who I am and how I carry myself to your benefit in the human race. I want to see his blessings upon my marriage, upon my children and my children's children. I want to see his blessings upon my cavalier dogs and my guinea pig. 
like my cat. Like, I pray his blessings over everything. I want his blessings on my new neighbors and my old neighbors in my neighborhood. Our God's a blessing God. And for people of faith in Jesus Christ, whether we're on the mountaintop taking steps of faith or whether we're going through deep, difficult, hard times where we want to weep when we come to the house of the Lord, and I know what that's like. Most of us do by now. Our faith is going to bring us through it. Like Paul said, I've been perplexed beyond despair, but I know that um, he's been with us and the God of all comfort has comforted us so we can comfort others. And that's where faith comes in. So the, the highest mountaintop and the deepest valley, the faith goes above it and the faith goes beneath it with Jesus by our side. Our God's a blessing God. And we believe those blessings when it's all going good. Sometimes we doubt those blessings when it's all going bad and we get beat up by life. But note tonight in this text, this whole text begins with God bless Obed-Edom. The presence of the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant brought blessings to his house. The blessings were so profound and absolute that we're told it twice in verse 11 and 12. And it says that the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him. See, if all who we are belongs to the Lord, our health, our finances, our stewardship, our children, our children's children, our animals, if our vehicles, our employment, if all that we are truly belongs to the Lord, then we're not only inviting him to be Lord over it all, we're inviting him to bless it all. So on the great day when we're prospering like Abraham at his zenith, or on the worst day like Job when you lose it all in one day, we know that our God is a blessing God. And we can say at the top of the mountain, you know, the Lord says, look at the north, south, east, and west, Abraham, all of it's yours. Or like you're Job and you've lost everything, and you say to your wife, we've accepted blessings. Can we not accept adversity? There's a blessing there. Our God's a blessing God. Whether we feel like we're being blessed or not, whether it seems like we're being blessed or not, in the temporal things of time, space, and matter, we can be sure that all things for children of faith in Jesus are blessings for all eternity. Some investments, you see their performance early on with an investment, a property or cryptocurrency or stocks and anything like that, treasury bonds, like you can see their performance but some, like, you just don't really know. It's just there, and you just don't even think about it, and you just never know how it's going to pay off. But know this, there's not one event in our life through faith in Jesus Christ when we're serving him, when he has all of us, that there's not a blessing over it and a blessing in it. We either get better and take the blessings, or we get bitter, and we're a bummer. Michael got bitter, and she was a bummer. David got better, and he was a blessing. And listen, when you hear Obed-Edom's got the blessing, you know what you need to do? Get on your horse and get over there and get some blessing. Go, go to where the blessing is. Pastor Chuck used to say, get under the spot where the glory comes out. Go get the blessing. If you see there's a blessing, why don't people go to the tent back in the days in the 70s with Pastor Chuck? Because there was a blessing. The presence, the power, the promises, the person of Christ was there. And it was obvious there was tongues of fire on the place. Maranatha music, all these songs, all these things. People came from far and wide, all over the country and all over the world to sit in that tent two miles away. They came for the blessings. They got in their cars in Missouri and New York and Vermont and Kansas, and they drove in their cars, young people, in the, in the summer of love, 68, 69, and they came to go get the blessings of the living God. They came to get the blessings. I would hope as people have come to this church for 17 years, you've come to get the blessings. That we can say like Jacob after the dream of the heavenly ladder, the Lord is in this place and anoint that rock because that's where the blessings are.
Even when you wrestle with God, what do you say? I'm not letting go until you bless me. Get the blessings. Some blessings are real obvious. We want, the, we want the upgrade blessings for time, space, and matter, the temporal. God's like, I know you want that. You do want that. You want that, don't you? I do. I do want that, actually. He's like, I'll tell you what you really need. You need these blessings. I'm not so sure I want those blessings. Trust me, when you stand before my throne, you'll thank me for these blessings. You want all my blessings. So high, low, mountaintop, valley, we want the blessings. And in this case, the context is just, it's the presence of the Lord. It's the blessings of the Lord. It's the increase of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. And David, he's got a heart for the Lord. He, he gets on his horse, and he goes to get the blessings. When he, You only have to come to David once and say, guess what? Listen, because the last time he was that way, three months before, it's like anger and fear. So by the way, if you're still living in anger and fear, please leave it here tonight. And walk out here with the blessings. No more anger and fear in the summer of 2022. Amen? Amen. Yeah, leave your anger somewhere else and leave your fear somewhere else. Because I don't have time for either. And neither does King, well, King Jesus does because he'll let you vent. But he's, he's not, he's not going to leave you there. So if you, stay, if you stay in the place of anger, so many angry people, and you can stay in the place of fear and anxiety, so many fearful people, that's your problem. But don't blame it on the blessing God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who sent his son to die on the cross and rise from the grave. Because he's all about the blessings through faith, obedience, humility, brokenness, love, grace, mercy, kindness. Those are the blessings. David left this place in defeat three months before with fear and anger. And now he's running back with his hustle on because he's heard that Obed-Edom has got the blessings. Not just Obed-Edom, but his entire household. Wake up tomorrow morning and get after the blessings that the Lord has for you. We don't want to miss those blessings for time because the ones in time ultimately are preparing us for eternity. It's not the blessings that you can leave behind. Hopefully you can and people will be blessed because of it and it will advance the kingdom, but not always. But either way, it doesn't matter. What really matters is that the blessings of what's entrusted to you when all that you have belongs to the Lord, like Obed-Edom, then all the blessings, they, trans- they translate to eternity. Because they taught you in time what God was preparing you for in eternity. David did have great blessings in his life. He had great personal wealth in his life. And what's the last thing he did when he stepped into eternity except telling Job to take, telling Solomon to take care of Joab and Shimei? But he also gave him all of his wealth. He, what did he do with all of his leftover wealth? He gave it to Solomon for what? To build the temple of God. The wealth he left behind when he stepped into eternity advanced the kingdom of God in the next generation when he was gone. That's good counsel, and that's good wisdom, by the way. Because the alternative is Solomon would write a generation later, you leave all your wealth for someone to waste it, some knucklehead kid. But David said, well, that's, that's for my grandkids to worry about, because I'm leaving wealth behind for my son so he can build the temple with all the wealth I've built up. Whatever happens when we're gone happens when we're gone. You realize that, right, you older people? Whatever your grandkids choose to do when they're adults and your great-grandchildren, you might not even know their names when you're 90. My dad's 92. The great-grandkids are there. He just, he just, it just doesn't, it gets fuzzy in your 90s. You step into eternity and hopefully it goes good. But one thing you can be right here is the here and now with the Lord to get after the blessings of the transformation and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life become more like Jesus, and that is the greatest blessing you can ever have. When you can wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're more like Jesus in July of 2022 than you were in 2021, then that's the greatest blessing you can possibly have. It's good for you. You say like the song, it is well with my soul. 
It is well with my soul, but I'm more like Jesus. It's good for you. It's good for me, right? It's good for Jennifer. It's good for the grandkids. It's good for the pastors and deacons. A spirit-filled joey makes a better thing for everybody here, right? And it's better for me. I sleep in peace. I, 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 I fear no evil. It's not so with the wicked. They, they run when no one pursues them. And if you're worried about what the wicked are up to, just read Psalm 39 from start to finish tonight. <laughs> It'll set you straight right there. What David had to say about that. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desire of your heart. That's, that's David's response in the Holy Spirit to the success and the prospering of the wicked when they rage and vent. David's like, he's going to go get the blessings. He's going after the blessings. He went to go get him. He went to get the blessings. He went to get the promises. And in so doing, he's going after the joy. He's going after the gladness. He's going for all the good things. Some people never know how to rejoice in the Lord. It's hard. Some people just always see things with Jesus as half empty. I don't understand it. Because the cross, the empty tomb, and the tongues of fire on Pentecost is totally full. In fact, Jesus said that the Spirit would overflow from us like a cup of water overflowing. My son-in-law, Nate, who's the youth pastor, one time was teaching these, and he goes, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, and he poured the water, and it was overflowing. I was like, oh, <laughs> works for me. It was a great illustration. That's the blessings, to be more like Jesus and be Spirit-filled, and to have that joy. It says there in verse 12 that when David went, that he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness, with gladness. So tonight we rejoice in God's faithfulness to us as a church for 17 years. We rejoice in a future for the next generation of kids with all the VBS stuff up on the walls and around us. It reminds us. But because our God is a blessing God and that all things work together for good and he's conforming us to the image of his son, we do rejoice. No thing that ever happens in our life is meaningless or random or fate. I love to watch TV shows from other countries in foreign languages always foreign languages better because that's the language they speak with subtitles. You watch Russian movies or Chinese things or Korean things and French things. The French are classic when they make stuff. But so often in those societies, everything's, they'll mention God sometimes, but it's usually like fate. They always say like fate did this and fate brought us together. And it's like, oh, fate, fate, I've got cancer. You know, they're all oh, fate, what do I do? And, like, and, and so, so often in these cultures that are not traditional biblical cultures like America, there, there's more of an appeal to fate and the randomness and the dumb luck of a trillion galaxies and it's all going wrong for you. But in Jesus' name, we never have to feel that way. There's a trillion galaxies and every planet and every asteroid has a name for it in God's kingdom and he knows the hairs on your head. There's no dumb luck there. There's nothing random. There's just divine design and purpose. There's just divine destiny. Like Jeremiah 1, before I formed in the womb, I knew you. Before you ever conceived, I knew you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Paul said to the, church of, uh, to the people of Athens that God predetermined when we'd be born, where we'd be born, and who we'd be when we're born. And there's no one like you. There is no randomness to our life, and therefore there's absolute purpose, and there's gladness in the journey, because whatever happens is working together for good, to those who are letting God do the work. We're all meant to be a work of art and reminded that tonight on this anniversary service for our church. Whoever we go and all the people that have come and gone before us and those that will come in the future, like many of you have come here in the last few years, we're all works of art under construction. Isn't that beautiful? Like all these colors. We're like an an art gallery. 
We're like Catherine's a great museum in St. Petersburg. We're just something for all eternity that's going to be on display, what we let God do in our life when we live the life of faith and trusted in him. Because we're his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus before the world even began to glorify him as a unique work of art. And our faith will bring, it through, bring us through it all. And therefore, we can live a life of joy and gladness because God is a blessing God, and we're looking into Jesus we're not looking at the afflictions and the trials and what goes wrong with anger and fear and anxiety and frustration, but we're looking to Jesus. And we're seeing everything through the prism of faith, through the loving hands and calling of the Savior. Jesus said, I spoke these things that your joy might be full. The New Testament tells us to rejoice always, to be joyful in all things. It's like Henry Ford said once, if you think you can't, you won't, but if you think you can, you will. And obviously there's things we can't do. We just can't make things happen, but it's a self-determination. If you choose to see things through the eyes of faith and through the promises of God, your worldview is going to be pretty sweet. And you're going to come through everything. But if you see things through the eyes of unbelief, you're going to see things through this perspective that, oh, woe is me, it's against me. You're going to be like Eeyore coming to church. Oh, there's enough of them already. Don't be one. Be like Tigger. <laughs> yeah, like, like be like Tigger in Winnie the Pooh. Don't be like Eeyore. Bring the joy. Find the blessing. Get his presence. Get his power. Stand on those promises. Go forward in his power. Have his peace rule in your heart. Get the blessings and live it. This is the Christian life. This is why Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. Not that we wouldn't have afflictions, but we'd find joy and peace in the midst of those afflictions. Because it rains on the just and the unjust. Through many tribulations, we must inherit the kingdom of God. There is no one that gets to 80 in the human experience that doesn't get beat up by testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedy. So we have to decide early on, or even fix it later on, how we see it. And we want to see things with gladness. To see that the Lord is over it all. Go get it with gladness. Also, we see that David brought it to the people. There in verse 13, it says, And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was very secure in his own skin, right? I said this before. He's a great singer, songwriter, actor, and dancer. You see that? David has all four of them. He's, he's, a, he's a songwriter. He's a musician. He's the actor. He, he pretended madness, and everyone believed him. He was in character, like... <laughs> Since his, he, he got the job on the casting call, the madman in the gates of Achish, you got the job, man. You nailed it. No more. We don't need to cast anybody else. You're the perfect madman. And then he's the dancer. He's whirling before the Lord. You bring it to the people. It's important for you as parents to show the joy of the Lord in your home. And it's important for you men to quit being angry and frustrated and show the joy of the Lord to your wife. No woman wants to be married to a negative, angry, frustrated man. Amen? Listen, if your wife wants to be frustrated by people that are angry and frustrated and have anxiety, they can, your wife can just turn on the TV and watch anyone's news. Your house should be a sanctified place, a place to be a refuge, a home, a place of peace. Your kids, your kids get beat up at school like spiritually, emotionally, just like you do at work. And like You want to be a blessing. You want to lead the people in obedience, carry the ark the right way on the poles. 
And if you obey the Lord and do it his way, carry the ark on the poles, show your parents, show your family, show your children obedience. Show them how you carry the ark. We don't just do, we just don't put the ark on a cart and say, hey, we do what we want. That's how it is right here. No, you get the priest, you get the Levites, you get the Kohathites, and you put that ark on that golden pole, and they carry it the way God said to. Get the blessings. Get all the blessings on the house of Obed-Edom. Carry the ark the right way. Obey the Lord the right way. Obey the Lord in your marriage. Obey the Lord in your personal life, in your private life, in your public life. Get those blessings upon you and your marriage and your children or your singleness or whatever your life is. Get them on you and keep them on you. Obey the Lord. Do it God's way. The will of the Lord isn't that mysterious. It just requires obedience. And that's the challenge so often that we have. And I speak for myself as well. And lead the people in thanksgiving. Six steps. I mean, like, this was a long parade. Hey, I heard the 4th of July parade is going to happen in Huntington again. I just found out today. I've missed it for the last couple of years. Anyone missed the 4th of July parade in Huntington the last couple of years? I look forward to normalcy this 4th of July. Even though they're going to blow everything up, my dog's going to have to take Benadryl. <laughs> I look forward to the return of the 4th of July parade on Main Street. Because what they did the last couple of years was just so weird and dysfunctional. Oh, Six paces. You like so you think of the Huntington Parade, it starts on there by the pier, they line up and they come up Main Street and they end up, you know, by over there by uh, the police department, police station, all that, Huntington High. Can you imagine these guys like six feet or just the sacrifices six feet? It's like the sacrifice shuffle, like whoo. You know, just and David's like, he's just spinning, like I mean you can spin, like you get dizzy. Listen, trust me, you spin you long enough you get dizzy, right? We all know that. He's just spinning like Priests are doing what they're doing. David's like, woo, and they just, everyone's, you know, everyone's free of what other people think in this story too, aren't they? So, so many people are so careful about protecting their brand and their image when everyone else thinks. Forget about it. No one cares. I'll give you a lesson I've learned about dancing in the park. No one cares. Dancing in the beach. Nobody cares. You think everyone's going to look at you when you dance in the beach? People don't even care. It's 2022. No one cares you're dancing in the park. I dance in this park. These people playing tennis, people playing the swings. I'm like, oh, there's a guy dancing. They just walk right by. <laughs> Nobody cares. I watch all these dancers all over the world, and they're dancing the subway. They're dancing the streets of Shanghai. Nobody cares. It's a universal human thing. People don't care for dancing. So why do you worry what people think? We get so worried about what people think. David was so secure in his skin with the Lord. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, Sure, David cares what people think. He cares what people think, but not that much. I feel like it's how I want to approach things in life. Like, I, I do care what people think. I just don't care that much. Recently, someone from Calvary Coast to me said to Jennifer, you know, I love your husband because he just doesn't, he just doesn't give a rip. That's literally what he said. He doesn't, he doesn't give a rip. And Jennifer's like, well, thank you. <laughs> I do, but I, in a lot of ways I don't. Because I've had Michael out inside the window against me my whole life. You've had Michael in the window taunting you your whole life. There's always someone who's critiquing who you are, how you look, how you dress, how you comb your hair, what you wear, what you live, what you do for a job, your gender, ethnicity, your age, everything. Remember I told you, years ago I got a 29-page letter attacking everything about me as a person from a congregant who had left, <laughs> right? Uh, that all goes together. Um, make sure the pastor knows exactly what you think when you leave. Write him a 29-page letter. To this person's credit, he did apologize, and he's very embarrassed about it to this day. But I always say there's something on page 28 that was worth reading. 
or something on 28. But I have to tell you, and he, if he's here, because he comes occasionally, he'd be embarrassed not about But he's like, your hair, your hairstyle's terrible. <laughs> now listen, this one I had short hair. I'm the G.I. Joe cut. Now, since I have a long hair, every grandmother in, in worship generation empire wants to critique my haircut since I've had long hair. So every grandmother tells me, oh, Joe, you need to cut your hair. Like, you think you're the first one that told me that. It's my hair. I want my hair I want to. <laughs> Brady Bunch. Pete Brady, the middle child. 1973. That's the look I'm going for. Right, Joanne? I was supposed to get a cut a couple weeks ago. I didn't get it. So I'm, it's getting a little longer. But you know what? I'm glad I didn't. I kind of like the summer vibe. I, Got some new shades, a new charger hat. I got that June summer vibe going, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to stumble you in the word, and I'm not going to stumble you in character. So, hey, Michael's going to always be in the window saying, hey, what are you doing out there? What are you going to do? There's a Michael in your life always. God says you can, and there's someone right out in the left ear, and if it's not Michael, it's the devil himself. No, you can't. So just get comfortable. And lead the people in joy. Lead the people you lead. Lead your neighbors in the joy of the Lord. Bring a smile, bring joy. Got new neighbors? Bring them a, bring them a gift basket. Welcome to the neighborhood. Got old neighbors leaving? Tell them thank you and think of all the good things they were for you and the blessings they were. Show the world that you know how to rejoice in the Lord. That's what we've tried to do here for 17 years. That's what I've been trying to do for 34 with Jesus. That's what we want to do. I want, to, I, I want people to look at my life and say, that person had the joy of the Lord. Under construction, just like David. And it's interesting because you think of a story like this. You go, what a beautiful story in David's life. I mean, what an incredible day. This is a beautiful day. And there's a lot of bad days that came after this, right? Like, just, let's be honest. There's a lot of bad days. We're going to get them in, in 2 Samuel. But you know what? You can't let a bad day in the future keep you from enjoying a great day in the present. Was it? Dr. Seuss, don't be sad that it's over. Be glad that it happened. I don't have time to worry about a bad day in July. What if I step into eternity on June 26th? Why would I fret over July? You just, you just got to be in the moment. You just have to enjoy the moment with the Lord and enjoy the journey. He, he led them in singing and dancing and praising his freedom to be secure in his skin with his faith and his joy of the Lord was evident to everybody and everyone else could come along that wanted to come along. Hey, you want to be part of this parade? You know, that's the beauty of the Huntington Parade, by the way. You get some real, <laughs> you get a real dog and pony show from the citizens of Huntington Beach because they think they're in the parade too, right? If you ever watch the parade, they, you know, every crazy person that's like got a skateboard or a bike, they're like, hey, look at me over the parade. No, you're not. But in your own world, you're in the parade, so I'll dance with you, right? Like, like you're like, join the parade. Be a part of the parade, the parade of rejoicing and gladness and joy and the blessings of the Lord. Get in line. Let the priests do what they're doing. Let David, that's just how he dances, just let David do what he's doing. And get in line, start singing, praising, and rejoicing in the Lord. People get so excited over sports teams and politicians. We can and should be excited about the Lord. And I know we usually, usually have five gears of praise. We're usually like gear two or three. But tonight, a little more like fourth and fifth gear. Here's the right place, right time. It's a beautiful thing. And David is leading the people. Whoever you lead on planet Earth, show them that you have joy in the Lord. Show them that you're rejoicing in the Lord. Show them what the joy of the Lord looks like, which means you have to go find it yourself. You can't bring the blessing and show the blessing if you don't know the blessing. 
So find it. Go get your hustle on and go up to the house of Obed-Edom and get that blessing he's got and bring it to your life and bring it to your city. He took it from the house of Obed-Edom and he brought it to the city of David to all the people of Jerusalem. In other words, he expanded. He expanded the blessing. He took a blessing that was a private blessing, like the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Private, Jewish, by the end of the book of Acts, it's everybody, all planet earth. A private blessing in the house of Obed-Edom, let's take this to the ends of the earth. That's, that's what David's doing. He's elevating, he's expanding the blessing, and that's how we need to see our journey on planet earth, that the blessings are expanding in our life, and they're expanding through our life to the people we love, the people we share the journey with most closely and intimately, and to our strangers, strangers around us, and even the people that would come against us. He threw a big feast, and if there's one thing that you can put over this entire day, because it, it says again there later on in verse 16 that you know, <laughs> David's leaping and whirling before the Lord, and, and they got more burnt offerings, and he's blessing the people, and they're distributing stuff. He's sowing bountifully. It's just it's a great day to be in the kingdom. And the man with the heart for God is showing his entire nation that he's a king of, his constituents. This is how we do Jesus on planet Earth in 1000 AD, 1000 BC. This is how we do it. This is how we do Jesus. There, there's, there's plenty of times in your life where you're going to cry, but this is not that day. Not today. This day we've got the joy of the Lord. And we need to recognize those things when they go our way. And finally, there is the unfortunate warning of Michael. Because she's, she's watching a beautiful event. She is watching, let me say this, without exaggeration. This woman is watching one of the most beautiful events in human history. What could you measure it by? This is the King David being established bring in the Ark of the Covenant, the greatest archaeological thing that exists on planet Earth right now that people would love to find. The presence of the Lord. This is the day Jerusalem became the center of the universe, which it is to this day. This is that day. And this is the day where the people of covenant who are in covenant with God are rejoicing all the promises. All, this is that day. This is, if you live to see a day like this in the kingdom of God, it's, it's great for us. This is that day. There's been a few Harvest Crusades I've been at at Anaheim where it was a real special night and you just full stadium, you felt the energy, all 40,000 people praising Jesus. You could feel that. It's special. This is beyond that. This is, you can't book a stadium and make this happen. This just, this is the way it went. And in this glorious time, here's a woman whose dad was the king. Here's a woman whose husband was the next king. Here's a woman whose brother was one of the godliest men you read about in the Bible, Jonathan. We almost forget that Michael's brother was Jonathan, who loved the Lord. Her brother was David's best friend. Her brother was her husband's best friend. And the commonality of Jonathan and David is they love the Lord, and they made covenants of friendship with each other. We also know that David showed kindness to the house of Saul. David showed kindness to Saul when he could have taken his life. David showed kindness to Ishabeth when he, wasn't, he was going to let him exists with the new kingdom. When Mephibosheth came to live with him, the son of Jonathan, he gave him the most prominent place at his table. We talked about that Tuesday night. 
David was not against the house of Saul. David was for the house of Saul. And David would have been for Michael. There's a life that Michael could have had in the city of David. But on this day, it's not about David. It's about the Lord. She's not rejecting David. She's rejecting David's faith. She's not mocking David's dancing. She's mocking David's faith and heart for the Lord. She's despising his faith, his demonstration, his declaration, and his public acclamation of his Lord and Savior this day. So instead of being a part of the party, instead of being a part of the joy, a part of the blessings in this glorious day, she is just filled with bitterness, and she's throwing him under the bus. It says she despised him. God help people who despise the glorious day of the Lord. And there are people who absolutely just despise us, praising the Lord with Jeff Anderson leading worship tonight. What are you going to do? What, what can you, you can't make Michael, you, you know, David's going to go home and he wants, it says that he wanted to bless his house. I didn't read the text. He returned to his household and he, he, he came to bless his house. He wants, so he brought the blessing to the nation. Now he wants to bring it home to his wife and, and to the house. She'll have none of it. She mocks him. It gets in this whole situation. And in the end, it says that Michael never had children to the day of her death. And may I say this? The world doesn't need bitterness to produce offspring. We don't need bitterness reproducing itself. We don't need another generation of bitterness in any family, in any home. Because the cross and the blood and the tongues of fire breaks the cycle of bitterness. It breaks the cycle of abuse and addictiveness. Faith always breaks the cycle of bitterness. We, We don't need Michael to have children that become as bitter as her and bring their bitterness to another generation. Michael is toxic. And you know, it's kind of hard to have romance and love with a toxic woman or a toxic man. She's toxic in her faith toward the Lord, and she's toxic toward her husband who demonstrates that faith in the Lord. She did it to herself. She did it to herself. And you know, Jennifer's like, I was talking with Jennifer about this. She's like, oh, gosh, you just hate to end with Michael. I do hate to end with Michael. It's like, it's like a happy party, you know? It's like, but just because she's in the window mocking doesn't mean happy feelings gone because the party's still going on. If we're in the city and people are dancing and doing all this stuff and they're playing the music and it's awesome and the food and the banquet and everything and David looks up there and she's just like, oh. And he's just like, what? He's like, oh, you know? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you stop twirling and it's like, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You have to decide right then and there, are we going to let her stop our party with the Lord? Is her bitterness going to keep me from my responsibilities of leading these people in the joy of the Lord on this great day? Am I going to let her rob my joy with my Savior this day? The answer would be no. Their relationship was never the same after this day. And it wasn't because of her feelings toward him Really, it was her feelings toward his faith in the Lord that he was praising. And that's why he said, oh, aren't you something dense for the young woman? He goes, you know, like, I did it before the Lord. I did it before the Lord. So don't get confused here. You're not attacking me. You're attacking my faith and expression of faith before the Lord. So let's get that straight at the dinner table tonight. And that was the end of it. 
There's always a bitter end for Michael. So let me just close with this thought. We cannot change Michael. If she wants to despise us, if there's people in your family that want to despise you because you love the Lord and you've got the joy of the Lord, there's nothing you can do about it. It just is what it is. But you can't let those people come into your city of David and take your joy in the city of David. You can't let them come into your head space, your heart space, and your soul space and affect you in an adverse way that way. We can't ignore the fact that they're in the window and they're mocking us and despising us and there might be people that are very close to us on the most intimate level. But the heart belongs to the Lord. And we are called to love the Lord with our spirit, mind, soul, and body. All of our strength. It's the greatest commandment. So the little exhortation, this closing thought, is don't let that person, those people, who just aren't a part of it, stop you from enjoying it. You know, in the, la- in the book, The Last Battle, the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the last scenes is the dwarves. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, the dwarves are, represent selfish people. The dwarves are always for the dwarves. That's what they say in the book, if you know the story. The dwarves are for the dwarves. So when they have to pick a side, they don't pick a side. The dwarves are for the dwarves. They don't pick this side or that side. The dwarves are for the dwarves. And what happens is they end up at the banqueting feast, and when everyone's enjoying this beautiful food at the banqueting feast, like we would, the things of the Lord, it tastes like cardboard to them and dirt. And they despise it, and they hate it, and they can't enjoy it. And that's why they don't go to heaven. Heaven is for people who love the Lord, praise the Lord, thank the Lord, serve the Lord, obey the Lord, and bless the Lord, and dance before him and sing songs about him. And the people that are in the window that are scoffers, they wouldn't want to be there. They don't want to be there. And guess what? They're not. So praise the Lord that you praise the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord that you rejoice in the Lord. We are a worship generation. And we're going to keep praising his name. And we're going to keep singing. And we're going to keep going forward. And like David, we're going to get our hustle on and get after those blessings. All of them. Because life is short, and I don't want to miss any of them for this timeline because it prepares me for the next one. And it's the same for you. In Jesus' name.